was up late celebrating the new year. So, decided to restart and try to update, I think, and had some issues right as soon as we were getting ready to go this morning. So sorry about that. But I'm glad we're able to be together this morning. I'm glad the computer decided to wake up, and I'm glad we can study God's Word together. Um, obviously, January 1, the new year, I don't need to tell you that. I am sure that uh, some of you over the course of the last year, if you think back to January 1 of 2022, I'm sure, or maybe in years past, maybe it wasn't last year, but previous years you have had the experience of setting up a Bible reading plan for yourself. Maybe some of you are getting started on that today, and you plan to make it through the whole Bible in a year, and somewhere in Leviticus you fall off the wagon and are unable to complete your Bible reading plan for the year. That has happened to me before, although sometimes I think it's earlier than Leviticus. However, I saw a post on social media this week that was put up the day after Christmas that I thought was pretty hilarious advice for you. If that is you, still time to finish the Bible reading plan you dropped in Leviticus. This was posted on December 26th. So could have still made it through the whole thing the last week of the year. I thought that was pretty good. Now, I don't know if any of you make New Year's resolutions or something like that. Um, there's no doubt if you ponder making New Year's resolutions and you're looking for advice on how to do that or how not to do that, you can go online and find a plethora of Christian articles, some telling you that it is a a very good thing to do, and here's how you should do it each year, and you should look ahead, and you should make specific goals for yourself, and then you can probably find a whole other host of articles telling you that it is a terrible idea to make New Year's resolutions, and both of them come with scriptural support. So whatever you want to do for the year, you can find someone to write and back that up for you. I'm sure there will be people in here who will make resolutions and fail to keep them. I'm sure there will be others who will make them and will keep some of them. And there's probably some of you who haven't even thought about it yet coming into the new year and have no plans to make any sort of New Year's resolutions or goals for the year. Now, I'm not here this morning to try to solve that for you and try to push you to make some resolutions and goals for your life for the coming year. But I do want to encourage you this morning with one biblical reality that I tend to forget. And it's easy to forget this biblical reality and sort of push it into the background. And it's very normal, I think, for people in our culture, especially when it comes to a new year, the possibilities are that are in front of you, the goals that you may have, the desires you have for the new year. It's very easy for us in our culture to feel overwhelmed by that. There's a, a lack of focus that we can have because we have so many different obligations and there's pressure to perform and there's pressure to accomplish all of these things in the coming year. Now, for you, maybe, maybe you experience that. I don't know where it comes from ultimately in our culture. I don't know if social media makes us compare ourselves to one another and feel like we've got to get all of these things done in the year in front of us. I don't know if we just feel like because the pace of life is so fast that we have to perform at a consistently higher level or else we're going to fall behind. But what happens to us 
in our culture, in our time period, that I think is particularly acute is we bump up against our human limits, which are real as we're going to talk about and are there, and then we feel badly for bumping up against our human limits, as if we should consistently be able to break all barriers and push past those limits and be able to accomplish everything. And we feel like we have to fix everything all at once. Maybe you thought this way. I've certainly thought something like this. I should be able to work 50 hours a week, train for a marathon, write a book, run a profitable side hustle, coach my kid's soccer team, be president of the PTA, run for local political office, all while volunteering at a food bank for two days a week, right? You feel like you should be able to accomplish all of these things. It should be part of your, your schedule and your life to be able to do more and more. And so we have our smartphones that are supposed to help us to maximize our time, and we plan and we schedule to squeeze all that we can into it. Now, I'm not here to tell you this morning to swing the opposite direction in the new year and to slack off and veg on your couch for six hours a day and watch Netflix, and that's cool if that's what you want to do in the coming year. I'm not here to encourage you that way, but what I do want to do is I want to remind you of something that has been an encouragement to me this past year, which is to understand my human limitations, to understand how God has formed us and how he has made us. And even as I've thought about it this week and studied for this, when you understand your limitations and see them as a good gift that God has given you, not something to be shunned, but something to be embraced and understood, when you see that as a gift from God, then you can begin to prioritize according to biblical values and not cultural values. Then you can begin to say, okay, I have limitations. Here are the most important things. And God lays them out for me, and I can put my time and my effort into these things rather than all of this that I feel like I have to get done. And so the goal this morning is to remind you of your limitations, to remind me of my limitations, so that we can focus on the most important things and prioritize the most important things. So this morning I want to give you kind of a topical message, but really we're going to go from Psalm 103, which is one of my favorite psalms, three ways to grow. The goal is growth, the goal is progress, but I want to help us grow by embracing our limits and understanding our limits in 2023, all right? So the first one of these is to remember your creator, to remember and to understand that God is the creator, and you and I are not. You can see, as I mentioned just a second ago, there's growth in this, right? That's what we're going for. There's growth in understanding the ways in which God has limited us, and then we live in line with those limits, so Psalm 103 is where we're going to be. This has always been one of my favorite psalms. I seem to, in my life, go back to this consistently. If there's a particular struggle or difficulty in my life, I, I just seem to drift back to Psalm 103 and to go and to read this psalm as a way to find help and encouragement. And broadly speaking, what this psalm is doing is calling on us, as you see in the first few verses, to bless the Lord, to praise Him. And then it basically recounts the reasons as to why we're supposed to praise and bless the Lord. 
Zach read it this morning, so I won't go over every detail or every piece of it, but I want you to look at verses 7 and 8. And if, if you've read your Bible before, particularly the book of Exodus, you know the language that is being used here. It should be familiar to you. This is one of the reasons why we are to praise the Lord. He made known, verse 7, his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. And then here's this description that David is recounting that God gave to Moses of God's character in the book of Exodus. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. David reminds himself of God's character. This is one of the fundamental, most basic, and most important descriptions of God's character that we get in the entire Bible. It's repeated throughout the Old Testament as key to understanding who God is. He is merciful and gracious, filled with steadfast love. And all of his works, everything that you see God doing, that Scripture recounts God doing, comes and flows from his character that is given to us here. And his character is gracious and good. It has become just a consistent line of thinking in my mind and a consistent desire that I have for our church body that we would think of God in his most basic character as being gracious and good. It's It's so normal for us to think of God as frustrated and as angry with us and as annoyed with us, but I think the Bible presents an entirely different picture of him. He is loving and gracious, and he, in his intra-Trinitarian love, the Father looks out to the Son and loves him through the Spirit, and that love is what caused him to create the world and express his goodness to his creatures It overflows from who he is, and that is the most defining feature of our God. And that is exactly how he explains himself to Moses here and to David as David picks up this language. But after that language, David continues to recount the ways in which God is good. He doesn't uh, hold our sins against us. He, He doesn't repay us according to our iniquities. But then the part of this chapter that has always drawn me in is found in verses 13 and 14. And it's verse 14 in particular that I want to want to focus on, but let's read verse 13. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And here's here's why he's compassionate toward us. Verse 14. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Now notice the first line of this. He knows our frame. You probably, if you have an ESV, have a note at the bottom of your page that says something like this. He knows how we are formed. That's really what this is getting at. He knows our frame means he understands how we were put together. So the logic here is God, as a father, has compassion on his children because he knows how we have been formed and how we've been put together. Now, where does this take us in our minds? It takes us back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, and you don't need to turn there, but drift back there in your mind and think about the creation of the world and how human beings are the pinnacle 
the, the, the priority within that creation and how in chapter 2, God tenderly and carefully forms Adam and then forms Eve and puts them together as his created image bearers. He was responsible for that. And so here, what David is meditating on is the fact that, look, God, God was there. He knows how we are formed and he understands how we've been put together. And the principle that we draw off of that is we are created beings and he is the creator. We are formed by God. Look at the second line of verse 14. He remembers. It's always in the front of his mind, right? He doesn't forget it. It's always there in his dealings with us. He operates based on this knowledge that we are dust. So what does God know about you this year? He knows how you were made, and he knows that you and I are temporary, finite beings. You are made in his image. You are fashioned out of love, but you and I are ultimately made of dust. That's how we're put together. And because we're made of dust and because we're temporary and because we're created beings, we are made with limits. In God's goodness, he has placed those limits in our lives. And this is not talking about sin. We so easily put those two together, and that is not what this is talking about in verse 14. It's talking about our human limitations that are given in God's graciousness and goodness. It's talking about what it means to be a human being apart from our sin. God does not sit up in heaven frustrated with you and frustrated with me because we can't do all the things. Because he's purposely made us this way. He's made us dependent creatures. One author put it like this, and I love this. We live in a fallen world Sin has affected everything from our heads to our hearts, from our body chemistry to socio-political dynamics. Because of this, because of the reality of sin, we sometimes wrongly attribute all our problems to sin when, in fact, they are often a matter of running up against the limits inherent in being finite creatures instead of being God. Those are God-given limits that we have. And sometimes we're struggling just because we're human beings, because we have those limits. Many of you will know the name John Calvin. He was a pastor in Switzerland in the 1500s, and he wrote this massive work called The Institutes of the Christian Religion, which was his explanation of theology and of the Christian faith. And in this huge work that he wrote he began this whole thing by pointing out that true wisdom, which we all desire and want, true wisdom is geared toward knowing God and knowing who we are as human beings, how we're made, how we're put together, and what our relationship is to God. And he says you can't really know yourself unless you understand how it is that you relate to God. So what is the most fundamental reality of the relationship between God and human beings. He's the creator. We are the created beings. That's it. That's the most basic reality between every being in the universe and God. 
He's the creator. He has the authority. He has the power, the lordship, and we are his created beings. He's the creator and we are not. Now, I'm going I'm to throw it back here to the late 1990s, all right? There's an old Stephen Curtis Chapman song that I went and listened to this week, and I still love it. And the chorus of that song says this, and some of you will know this, God is God, and I am not. I can only see a part of the picture he's painting. God is God, and I am man. So I'll never understand it all, for only God is God. And it, it sounds so basic. It sounds like, why would you even write a song like that? But we forget that reality so often. The difference between being the creator and being a created being. It's one of the most important truths that you can know and that you can hold on to. And it will shape how you live life every single day. Psalm 100 and verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. And there's two different ways this next phrase is translated. That we are his, or it could be that we have not made ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We belong to him. And he has created us with limits, and they are good by his sovereign care and design. So that brings us to our, our next way to grow. So you have to recognize or you have to remember him as the creator, understand your position before him as a created being, know that he has made you of dust and that is who you are, and then you have to specifically recognize the limits, name them that he has put into your life. This is in verses 15 and 16. So if you will remember back in the Garden of Eden, one of the temptations for Adam and Eve was to throw off their limits and become like God. That was basic to the promise, the lie that the serpent gave to them, to become like God, to no longer be limited in their knowledge and their understanding as mere mortals made of dust. And yet... God, in his graciousness and kindness, made Adam and Eve to be dependent on him. He made us to know him through our dependency on him. Look at Psalm 103, verses 15 and 16. Speaking again to our temporary, finite, limited quality as human beings. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. Now, what's interesting for me as I looked at this this week is I've always read in this psalm, verse 14, to be very encouraging. So God remembers our frame. He knows we're dust. He knows how we're made. But then, as I've, I've, before I've read this psalm, I've always gotten to verses 15 and 16 and thought, well, this is a knock on human beings, Right? This is kind of a, a mocking of us in our humanity. This is sort of a putting us in our place and, and, and tearing us down a bit because we're temporary. But you notice the language that he uses here. He flourishes. I mean, that's not a, that's not a, a mockery. It's just stating who we are. We flourish. We thrive for a while in our finite, temporary humanness. That's who we are. And you have to keep in context, the, in mind the context in which this comes. What is Psalm 103 doing? 
telling us to bless the Lord and recounting his goodness and his gifts that come to us. And so I think what this is getting at here is contrasting our finite humanity with God's permanency, as you'll see here in verses 17 through 19 in a couple of minutes. We're purposely limited in a number of ways so that we can find our rest and our satisfaction in the one who is not limited, in the one who is infinite and has all power and has all authority. And so a way to grow in 2023 is to recognize your limits. And I want to give you just a couple of these. They aren't specifically drawn from this text, but there's several limits that I want to go over with you and help you to recognize in the coming year. And you'll see them pop up here on the screen. Time is the first one of these. I got four of them. As humans, you and I experience the progression of moments in the passage of time as created beings. So I'm not talking here about dying because of the result of sin. What we're talking about is even the fact that we exist in time and create and we experience time in the passage of moments limits our capacity. We're not infinite and above time like God is. We just saw this in Psalm 103. We flourish for a while, right? We experience the progression of time. You and I go through seasons in life because of the progression of time. And those seasons limit us. We can only give our attention and our focus to certain things at a time. We don't have the capacity to deal with everything all at once. The book of Ecclesiastes spells this out for us in a passage that I know you are probably all familiar with, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. You can flip over there if you want to for just a minute. Ecclesiastes just past Proverbs. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 through 8. Think about the way that the author here is describing time, our experience of time, and the seasons that we experience as we go through a normal human life. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down, a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, and a time for war, and a time for peace. Think about what is being said here. This is a profound meditation on the way we experience time in our lives as humans. Different moments in your life call for different actions on your part. That's what it means to, in a human way, experience the progression of time and go through a season of time. 
So what that means for you and I is that we have the responsibility to understand the limits that time puts on us and to recognize the different seasons that we go through in our lives and then to act accordingly. So this is not a squishy unfaithfulness. This is, this is not telling you not to do different things, to sort of back off. This is telling you to be wise in how you approach your time and to recognize what sort of season you are in. So let me give you a couple examples. There are times, young parents, when you have multiple children under the age of, say, five in your house, or you have a baby in your house, when you simply cannot do it all. If you have three, four kids during the winter, one of them will be sick every single week. It's what's going to happen in your life. It is a season of life that you are going through. You can't fully withdraw from church life and participation in church life, and I'm not telling you to do that, and that's not biblical. And yet, at the same time, your capacity is greatly reduced. And look, the Lord understands that. He knows the season that you are going through. But there's also a season, maybe empty nesters, where your capacity to engage and to serve grows because you maybe don't have some of those responsibilities. Maybe now you have different responsibilities. And part of your faithfulness to God is understanding your human limitations and recognizing what season of life you're in, your limited capacity, and then living accordingly to that. God knows you are dust, and he takes delight in the seasons that he brings into your life, the different capacities that we have, and he wants us to, in, our, in wisdom, under his guidance, recognize those and then respond appropriately. So we're limited by time. We're limited by knowledge. This may come as a shock to you, although everyone around you knows this to be true of you, that your knowledge is limited. They definitely know it to be true of me. There's several passages that talk about this, right? Romans 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Only God has all wisdom and all knowledge at his disposal. You and I do not. Thank goodness. Isaiah 55, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's because we are limited in our knowledge and our perspective. We don't see everything as it truly is. We don't have all the knowledge, despite the fact that we can search Google at our disposal instantaneously. And even though we can search and find bits of information, we don't know how to use it in the most appropriate way. And that's not to say that we don't know anything truly. That's not to say that we don't know anything for sure. But what it is to, to say to you and I today is you are limited in your knowledge. So a dose of humility for us is biblical and it should drive us back to God's word, to the one who is infinite in his knowledge. And he has given us all that we need in his word. Next limit, bodily limits. 
Again, I'm not talking here about sin. God created Adam and Eve to be present in one location at one time and to experience the world through their senses and their physical bodies. That's not bad. It's actually a wonderful gift that God designed to be good. You can't be in more than one place at a time. You need sleep. You're going to get sick and tired. Jesus himself experienced without sin the weariness that a human body has. He experienced the limited capacity that we have because we are finite human beings and we have a body. We are a body. The last one. We have limited power. Now, here's what I mean when I talk about power as a human limitation. I'm talking about the capacity that you and I have to bring about change in the lives of others or in the world around us, okay? So when I say we're limited in our power, I'm saying you have a limited capacity to change other people, to change yourself, and to change the world around you. Clearly, we are limited in that, severely limited in our ability to accomplish change. Now, this doesn't mean that we throw up our hands and say, well, There's nothing I can do about it. We give up on doing good. That's not what this is talking about. But I am saying that we need to recognize our God-given human limitation in this area and trust, right? Trust the one who doesn't have limitations, whose ways are higher than our ways. Trust him who has all power and all authority at his disposal to rightly order the universe according to his plan. So when you feel limited in your power and your capacity, look to him. Trust in him. All right, so I'd like to apply this, ready, in one particular area for us this morning. One of the greatest challenges to Christian discipleship, I think, right now in our culture, is our fascination with, I'm going to call it the news, okay? I think it's one of the greatest challenges to Christian discipleship. So often we are being discipled by the news in all the different forms and fashions in which it comes to us rather than the Word of God. The news, whether you get it from watching television, the internet, websites, social media, journals, mag I don't care. Any of it is what I'm talking about. And I'm talking about information that comes to us instantly and tells us of situations that are mostly far away that we have very little, if any, connection to. These circumstances that we hear about are plucked out of billions of events that happen around the world every single day. Billions of things happen around the world. And someone decides that these events are important enough to tell us about these events that are happening thousands of miles away or maybe 20 miles away that we have very little, if any, connection to. And these events are presented to us as newsworthy. This is a very recent development in the history of humanity, that we have access to this sort of information, knowing what sort of events are going on. Most often, these events are chosen and presented to us 
for the primary purpose of inducing fear and anger in us in order to keep our eyeballs glued to the screen. It's about attention. They want us to keep watching, and so they tell us things that will keep us watching. The stories are told in a way that doesn't give detail, that doesn't give context, without nuance, with a few images and a few descriptions, and they leave us oftentimes with a sense of dread, fear, anger, and helplessness. There's nothing we can do about it. And we simply don't have the power to affect change, and we have very little involvement in any meaningful way in these events. Now, I'm not telling you to become a Luddite and drop off of the face of the earth and not know what's happening in the world around us. That's not what I'm arguing for this morning. I'm just trying to peel back the lid a little bit on this very serious topic when it comes to our human limitations and our consumption of the news constantly in our lives. I want to put it into a little bit of perspective, and so I'm describing it in very stark terms for you so you can understand what's at stake here. Your time, which is limited, your capacity to influence other people, which is limited, are better spent with those closest to you with those who you can actually have an impact on in your lives. Maybe it would be better to spend a little less time soaking in events that are happening all around the world and using that time and that capacity to influence in shaping your family, those in your church body, those in your neighborhood. This is for me as much or more than it is for anyone else. I like to be in the know. I like to know what's happening And so often that gets my mind out of the present, out of the people that I know and love and it can actually influence and takes it elsewhere and I end up living there and not living here. And so we're limited in our capacity to change things and I'm just asking us to recognize that and adjust accordingly. And that brings us to the adjustment part, which is the last Way to grow by embracing your limits. Re-establish your priorities, right? So you remember your creator, the creator and creature distinction. You recognize your limits, which these are only four limits, and then you re-establish your priorities. There are borders or boundaries placed on you as a human that are God's good gifts to you. And when you recognize those limits, then you can begin to prioritize according to God's values. It's easy to drift away from the most important things. I probably don't have to tell you that, but it's easy to do that. I have been reading a book the last week or two on leadership, and it's written by two Navy SEALs. Really great book. One of the key principles that they give to be an effective leader is to prioritize and then execute whatever the top priority is for you. Prioritize and execute. And in the chapter on that principle, they tell this story. One of the guys writing the book tells this story of fighting in the war in Iraq as a Navy SEAL in 2006, 2007. And he and a group of SEALs and then some Iraqi soldiers are going into an enemy-controlled area in this very, very violent, contested city in Iraq. And they go into this area and they see a guy run out of a building who appears to be an enemy combatant, and he and another guy immediately begin to chase this character down the street. 
And after a couple of turns, they catch the guy, but they realize they've got to search this guy because he maybe have weapons on him. They realize that they are out of contact with their unit and they're in a very dangerous area. And when they realize those things, they look up and there are six enemy combatants coming toward them on the street. So now you gotta let your unit know what's happening, where you are. You gotta search this guy because he may have a bomb strapped to him or something else. Now you've got guys with guns moving toward you in a malicious way. So what do you do in that circumstance? You can't do all the things at once. You have got to prioritize and then you've got to act on what your top priorities are. Now, I really hope none of you are in that sort of situation in 2023, okay? So, and I, I don't think you will be. But I know that we all probably day in and day out experience having multiple situations, multiple things to do in front of us important things to do and feeling like it all has to be done right now. I've got to get all of this done. And we have limited time, limited capacity, limited power to change, and limited knowledge. Knowing your limits, becoming comfortable with your limits, can help you to prioritize and then begin to execute. The God who created you and gave you those limits knows your frame. He knows how you were formed, and he remembers every single day that you are dust. And in his graciousness, he's actually given us our top priorities. He's told us what we should go after first. He's told us how to live in a way that honors our limits and brings fulfillment to our lives and honors and glorifies him. What's the most important reality in our lives? Look at verses 17 to 19. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God, here's the most important reality. God rules over all in infinite power and he has set his steadfast love on you and on me. And so we respond to that knowledge accordingly. His love and his power call for clear priorities for us. What are our priorities? Because he's Lord, rules over all, and he loves us. Our priorities are here. Matthew 22. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first, this is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I know we know this, but we have limits as humans. We can only do so many things. We only have so much time. And so prioritize, reestablish what's most important, and then act accordingly. So as you think about the new year, let your God-given limits encourage you. Let the fact that God knows who you are and how you're made and you can't do all the things, let that encourage you this morning. And let it drive you to prioritize loving God and loving others. Those are big, broad principles, but 
take some time this week to think specifically, how can I act on these two principles? What can I do in 2023 to help my love for God grow? What can I do in 2023, because I'm limited, that will help me to better love my neighbor as myself? Specifically, the neighbors who live with me and around me and who attend church with me. How can I better accomplish these two things? What keeps me from active engagement with God and from active engagement with those around me? So God doesn't expect you and me to do it all in this year. He's made you and he's made me dependent on him for very good reasons. So let's live in line with that and bring honor and glory to him as we do those things in this year. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful for this psalm, for the encouragement that it is that you know who we are. You've put us together according to your love and your grace, and we are limited, and we are so dependent on you, and so we're thankful for that reality. I pray that you would sink these truths deep into our minds, into our hearts, and help us to live accordingly this coming week. Help this to be an encouragement to us, Father. You have compassion on us as a father does on his children because you know who we are and you know how we've been purposely and intentionally limited for your honor and glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.